What do you say to people you love in a world you love that is in chaos? This has been a tough week, I think, for our country, a tough week for our world. And I want to start, before we read Acts 2, just by acknowledging that pain and hopefully following the wisdom of a theologian who I appreciate, Karl Barth, who said, a preacher should always hold the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And this is my newspaper. I know it probably looks different from some of yours. And so I want to start this morning by acknowledging two deaths. The death of George Floyd on Monday, killed apparently because of his race, and all of the things that have followed that. And also uh, 100,000 recorded or confirmed deaths just here in the United States from Americans from COVID-19. What do we do when the people we love and the world we love are with the people we love and the world we love in a world that is in chaos? I would like to think that we follow the example of Scripture as Christians, that we follow the example of Jesus, and that we look to the Holy Spirit. And so part of that example is an example of humility, those of you who know me best know that I love having answers. It's one of the things I enjoy about pastor, uh, being a pastor. When people have a question, I have an answer. Sometimes. But humility, because we don't know all the answers. And then also patience. And part of patience is listening. And I think in being humble and in being patient, we begin to be like Jesus. So let's be like Jesus and look to our Father and look to the Spirit to see what God is saying to us this morning. Acts 2 tells us that when the day of Pentecost had arrived, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not these who are speaking Galileans? Yet, how is it that we hear each of us in our native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites? Media is today Iran. Parthenia and Elamite empires had crumbled but from that area. Residents of Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and Cappadocia, just north of Jerusalem. Pontus and Asia, northwest and northeast. Phrygia and Pamphylia, massive port cities. Egypt to the south and the southwest. And parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the island. And visitors all the way west from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. 
Again, Saudi Arabia today. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, and there are always others, aren't there? Others mockingly said, they are just filled with new wine. Then Peter, standing up in front of the eleventh, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, only nine o'clock. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter goes on to preach and to read what we just read a few moments ago. And Peter builds on the prophecy of Joel and the prophecy about, of Joel about prophecy and prophesying. And it comes to a climax as he accuses the people gathered there. He says, you, you, this, excuse me, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know, know therefore for a certain that God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He accuses the Jews gathered there of crucifying Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, It's for your children. It's for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we are holding scripture in one hand and, and a newspaper in the other, I want to also read for us, uh, begin the sermon this morning by reading for us a poem that one of you sent me by a woman named Susan Bourne. I don't know uh, what the poem, or I don't know anything about Susan Bourne, but uh, I want to read the poem for you called Corona is Exposing Us. Corona is exposing us. Exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides. Exposing what normally lies between, beneath the surface of our souls. Hidden by the invisible masks that we wear, now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind, Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self, Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. Is the church, what is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do I plan without certainty? How do I love without risk? Corona is exposing me. 
My mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my clueless words, my fragile nerves were all exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts. What corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Given that it's Pentecost, we might well add, come, Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. As we sit in, as I said, a world that is in chaos, or at least a country that is in chaos, we've said nothing of what's going on in other countries around the world already this morning. As we sit in the midst of that, what do we do as Christians? What do we do as people who love one another, who love God, and who are loved by God? Well, I think we do what we have always done, which is that we look to God. We do our best to imitate the example, the perfect example of Jesus, and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so in the midst of all of the uncertainty in our world, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Because the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to a, you could call them a monocultural group of Jews. Many of them from Galilee, from the same region, and yet they're living in a very multicultural city, in a multicultural world. And it's beautiful what happens at Pentecost. If you know the Old Testament the way that the Jews did, then you know that for, for these Jewish, or for these Jews gathered in this home waiting for the Spirit, that the Jewish word, the Hebrew word for Spirit, is also a word for wind and also the word for breath. And so this wind starts coming. It's t- these tongues of fire, and, and, and God breathes his breath into them as each of them begins to speak in different languages, or at least to speak in some mysterious way that people from all around the world, all kinds of different backgrounds and languages, can understand what God is saying. At Pentecost, we join today the story of the Holy Spirit bringing life and bringing breath into our uncertain world. This is what God has been doing from the beginning. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And just a few verses later, God breathes his breath into man, and man becomes a living being. But of course, as people, we reject God's breath. We reject his way. And so Adam and Eve believe the lie of the serpent. They, they are deceived and they betray God. They go their own way. And then the Tower of Babel. The humanity builds a tower. Let's, reach to the, let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens. So we can be like God or maybe even be God And what does God do? He confuses their languages. And here, in Pentecost, what we see is the first taste of what heaven's going to be like. 
It's the opposite of Babel. People are not spread to the corners of the world, but gathered from the corners of the world, and all of them are hearing the words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Exodus, God leads his people in a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day, led by his Spirit, seated on the Ark of the Covenant, a picture of that Ark that I've given some of you before. There were cherubim on either side, right? One with his wings like this and the other with his wings like this, forming the back of a chair where God sat on the judgment seat or the mercy seat. God led his people into the promised land, but not before they rebelled against him and wandered the wilderness, the place of death, for 40 years. Even in, even in the promised land, God's people couldn't obey him, couldn't do what was right, and didn't want to follow the Spirit. They wanted a king like the other nations. And so they got Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then a divided kingdom, and more war, and then exile, separation from the land, and another kind of wilderness experience. Then when Jesus comes, we have this celebration, this renewed hope. Perhaps he is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament hopes. Perhaps he is the one who will save us and remain as king forever. But Jesus, too, is killed. And not killed by Romans, at least that's not what Peter says. Peter says that Jesus is killed by the Jews. By the very people of God. But then, of course, God resurrects Jesus from the dead. Not to remain on earth, but to ascend into heaven so that he would send his spirit. The embodiment of of the kingship of Jesus on earth, not limited to one place or one corner of the Middle East, but given to every believer, given in the heart of every believer, so that where we go, God goes with us. So that, as Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we look at the work of God, and I've tried to summarize basically the whole story of Scripture very quickly, But when we look at the work of God from the beginning up until now, what we see is that God is a God who brings life, that he is a God who brings breath into our world, and that as people, we so easily and so quickly choose death. We rebel against God. We go our own way. Scripture calls that sin. Sin leaves us uncaring, For the breath and the life and the voice of others, God included. Sin leaves us thinking that we need to take care of ourselves first and then allow the rest of the world to sort itself out as if we even could care for ourselves first. In our world of darkness and void, in our world of wilderness and death, the Spirit of God brings life and brings breath. And the joy that we have as God's people today is that we don't have to wait in the way that the disciples waited. We don't have to wait for God to send his spirit. We don't have to say that we'll wait for God to lead or we'll wait for God to speak or we'll wait for God to move. We can say that we must humble ourselves 
we can say that we must listen because God has already led. He has already led through desert and through exile. God has already spoken through the prophets and most recently and fully through his son Jesus. And he has already moved by his spirit. And so we don't need to wonder, we don't need to worry if God is leading, if God is speaking, or if God is moving. We need to humble ourselves to listen and to go where God is leading us to go, to listen to what God is saying to us. Throughout the history of Scripture, the history of God's relationship with his people that I've just outlined for us, it seems like every time God brings life, that the humanity responds or the world responds with rebellion or with death. That if God says yes, that the world says no. Or maybe sometimes it feels like if God, God doesn't even say yes, that God says no. Again, Karl Barth, a theologian I appreciate, says God's final word is never that a word of warning, never a word of judgment, of punishment, of a barrier erected or a grave opened. We can't speak of God's final word without mentioning all those things. God's yes cannot be heard unless his no is also heard. But the no is said for the sake of the yes and not for its own sake. In substance, therefore, the first word and the last word is yes and not no. The Holy Spirit is God's yes to a world filled with no's. The Holy Spirit is God's life and his breath given to a world that is filled with death and dying. The Holy Spirit is the wind of God stirring hearts and lives that are asleep. The Holy Spirit is God's hope. It's his deliverer. It's our, he's our partner in a world of despair and slavery and isolation. <clears throat> After all, even the freedom, the liberty that we love in this country, that we celebrate, is a pale freedom without the Holy Spirit animating us in love for God and our neighbor. Even a healthy body that doesn't, hasn't faced coronavirus or hasn't faced the, the, the pain of, every, of many kinds of death. Even a healthy body has little joy apart from the joy of the Spirit. And the life that the Spirit gives that stretches not just a few years longer, but into eternity. And no hope lasts, no future is secure except what the Spirit brings what the Spirit works. And the Spirit, Peter says, is given to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. I think we know what everyone means. But I want to pause for a moment as we begin to close here and wonder what it means to call on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? One theologian said it means to put your full, undying trust in God. To put your full, undying trust in God. Not, as Oswald Chambers says, this, putting your 
or, or excuse me, calling on the name of the Lord is not, now I'm quoting Oswald Chambers, not you will use my name as some magic word, but you will be so intimate with me that you will be one with me. You will be so intimate with me that you will be one with me. This is Jesus' prayer for his people and for, his wor- for our world in John 16 and 17, that they would be one. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. Not trying to get us to show up for an hour here or there for prayer or for worship. Not trying to get us to say the right sentence or, or preach the right words. But to put our full and undying trust in God. And this is why the disciples gathered on Pentecost. They were so intimate with Jesus that they desired to be one with God. They had invested their hope and invested their lives so much in Jesus that if he didn't deliver them, they would be lost. No one else could. God is our life. The Holy Spirit is our life. That's what we celebrate as Christians on Pentecost. In him we live and move and have our being. Apart from him, we have nothing. We can't live except the life that God lives in us. We can't breathe except the life or the breath that God gives us. And so we join as God's people. We join our voices with the disciples and the crowds, both then, in the first century, and today. We repent. We pray for justice, for God's mercy, for his grace. And we follow as the Holy Spirit leads. So let's seek God's face together for a moment here in prayer. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we praise and thank you that we do not need to have all the answers because we certainly don't. But we come to you. We look, Jesus, to your perfect example We look, Father, to your, what feels like eternal patience. And we look, Spirit, to your moving in our world and moving in our midst. Father God, we depend on you for everything. We have been robbed in the past months and in the past week of the illusion that we are in control of our own lives. Father, teach us to number our days so that we we might walk the path that you have for us. Teach us to value our lives so that we might use them for service in your kingdom. And teach us to love our neighbor, to speak with humility and love and patience in a world in chaos. So that, we might, so that we might bring with us the life and the breath of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to do uh, this morning what we have been doing in the live stream, which is I'm going to offer the blessing now, and then we're going to sing our final song as we go. And so uh, if you're able, please stand. I'll give the final blessing, and then we'll sing our sending song.
I'm going to direct this toward the camera, but I am inviting all of you to receive God's blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the power and presence, the life and breath of the Holy Spirit be and remain with you all. And all God's people say, Amen. Our last song 